Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Gathering all the information you would need to stay ahead of the curve on your crypto investments. Welcome to Thriller Rundown. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, gather around. It's time for a thriller rundown. My name's Car Car Gonzalez. Today is October 28th, 2019, and it feels so good to be back. <laughs> no, it feels great to be back. I'm so happy. Haven't talked crypto in a week. We're talking currency arms race at the top of the show. Let's do it. Rundown starting now. The rundown. What a week to miss in crypto, huh? <laughs> There's so much that went on this past week. Oh, man, I, I am. I'm starting to understand why so many people go on crypto Twitter to talk about crypto and, and Bitcoin so much. Today, we're talking currency arms race. That's right. There is so much news about China this week. And I think the vast majority of us are kind of like in a kind of a, a spin because this is something we weren't expecting. Like this is the wild card scenario, right? We were talking about how there's going to be a Facebook pump. Of course, that didn't happen. It actually dumped last week on Tuesday, right? What was interesting, though, two days later, you have China coming out saying they want to be the leader of blockchain technology. All of a sudden, that sparked an uptick in Bitcoin price. I think we went up to like 10500 you know, and it was crazy. It was absolutely not. It was absolutely nuts. And in a way, that Facebook pump didn't happen, but it did because it informed China to have to release a press release. Well, not necessarily a press release, to be fair. President of People's Republic of China, Xing Jinping, said that they need to seize the opportunity afforded to him by blockchain technology. And he was speaking at the 18th collective study of the political bureau of the central committee on last Thursday. He said, clarify the main direction, increase investment, focus on a number of key core technologies and accelerate the development of blockchain technology and industrial innovation. That's some big news. And Bitcoin jumped 12% just on that alone. So Facebook informed China, China informed the Bitcoin market, Eh, we still got a pump. <laughs> and actually, I even said if we do get a pump, it's going to be like in the nine, seven, ten thousand range. We're going to get above ten thousand one more time. Gosh, man, I'm, I'm becoming electric or something. Who knows? Um, um, I'm seeing the future, ladies and gentlemen. But if we start to look now, this is really starting to look like China taking the mantle and running with it. I mean, we know that they were going to be working on a digital currency or actually they finished it here in September. And they were going to release it in November. Then that got that got pulled. Right. They didn't want to say anything just yet. Um, and we know how they were going to do it. They're going to do it through WeChat and through Alibaba Pay. And it sounded pretty exceptional. <laughs> I mean, they were going to have a digital currency. I think the biggest problem, though, with China and, you know, 
and I think everybody knows this is the the problem with their with their firewall. Like, how is that going to work? Are they going to allow outside countries to participate? I guess we'll see. But we do know one thing. Uh, Russia has also looked at blockchain technology. Vladimir Putin is interested in it. I mean, I think Vitalik we even went over there at some point to talk to him about it. Yeah, he did. It was uh, it was in 2017 and uh, they had discussed opportunities for using the technologies that um, I guess Vitalik had already started a venture arm over there. Um, so these technologies are going to drive everybody. There is going to be an arms race for blockchain technology. Make no mistake. And then you look at somebody like the United States. We have all the smartest people to create the code and the underlining protocols for how this is going to work. But we're just too complacent, <laughs> right? We have a shit ton of regulators that won't allow us freedom of expression when it comes to code, right? And we're seeing this kind of generational, transitional uh, struggle of power, right? You have the older generation, you know, um, particularly I'm not trying to pick on them, but you have the, um, you know, the baby boomer generation and they're not wanting to budge. <laughs> they're not wanting to move away from cash, right? Why would they? The dollar's strong, according to President Donald Trump, right? But you have this uh, power balance from the young millennial generation and the older baby boomer generation not wanting to give up control one way or another. And so this is going to lead us to a currency arms race. And we won't know how this is going to look. It's probably going to take us 10 to 20 years, <laughs> you know, in the future before we kind of see how all this shakes out. I mean, if we look right now, there's somebody talking about this already. He's ridiculed all over the place. Every every show he goes on, he's ridiculed. But his name's uh, Jim Rickards, right? He always talks about this. He's been talking about it for the last, gosh, 19 years, maybe longer. He's written several books about it. But uh, his take on it makes sense. Like if you look at it from a nuts and bolts approach, right, practically, like how this is going to shake out. Do we just succumb to China? Does the IMF bail everybody out? Who bails out central banks? Does Bitcoin bail it out? Right. Will this uh, generational transition of power from millennials to baby boomers actually succeed or will it slow down innovation and kind of stop this entire new financial techn technological revolution from happening here or kicking off here in the United States? Take a listen. So I'm not the least bit surprised and the currency war is still going on. I said, hey, it's only five years old, six years old. This could easily go on for another four years. And, but there's a reason for that. The reason is they don't have a logical conclusion. Uh, so it's just, you know, you devalue your currency because you're trying to, you know, the conventional wisdom is you devalue your currency to promote exports, to create export-related jobs, you know, reduce your trade deficit, increase your GDP. Those are all, those all sound like really good things. So we cheapen the dollar and, uh, you know, you're Indonesia and you need to buy an aircraft and you don't make them. And you really have two choices. You've got Boeing and Airbus. So you cheapen the dollar relative to the euro. All of a sudden, that Boeing plane looks a little mm -hmm. more attractive. You buy one. There's jobs in Seattle or St. Louis or whatever, and, and you kind of go from there. That's the conventional story. There are two problems with that. Number one, that's not why central banks are cheapening their currencies. They're cheapening their currencies to import inflation. The U.S. is a net 
importer. We buy more than we sell. So when you have a cheap dollar, okay, a Boeing aircraft or General Electric uh, wind turbine gets a little less expensive, but all the stuff we buy gets more expensive because we're paying for it in cheaper dollars. And that's what the central bankers really want. They want those price increases to feed through the supply chain and try to create inflation because governments around the world are desperate to get inflation. It's a, uh, you know, it's a sad day when, when a central bank wants inflation and can't get it. Right. I call it a, uh, Mick Jaggernomics uh, after Mick Jagger, uh, Jagger, Jaggernomics, because you, you can't always get what yeah. you want. So, um, so that's the real reason they do it. And it can have a short-term impact. It can help exports a little bit. It can give you a little bit of lift. But the problem is it comes at the expense of the trading partners. This is just classic beggar-by-neighbor uh, devaluations. That's what currency wars are. So it can help individual country growth, but it does nothing for world growth. The world is no better off. Mm -hmm. One country is a little better off, another country is worse off. So the other metaphor I've used is, uh, you know, you've got four soldiers and they're fighting and it's a hot day and they get a break and they've got one canteen and they're all really thirsty. What do you do in that situation? You pass the canteen. In other words, everybody would like to drink the whole canteen, but you take a sip, you hand it to your mate, he takes a sip and so forth. And that's the way the currency wars have gone. 2009 was the, the day of the cheap yuan. Remember 2009, 2010, Secretary Geithner couldn't get out of bed without complaining yeah. about Chinese currency manipulation. 2011, the dollar hit an all-time low on a couple of indices. That was the cheap dollar. 2013, along comes Abenomics, and one of his three arrows was a cheap yen. All of a sudden, the yen's at 120, 124. Japan got a little bit of a lift. So who's suffering the whole time? Europe. Europe had the strong currency, two recessions in four years. So finally, 2015, it was Draghi's turn. Well, 2000, June 2014, they launched negative interest rates. In January 2015, they launched European QE. So, so you're going from China, US, Japan, Europe, everybody's passing the canteen. But the world is still stuck in basically depressionary growth. It's not, we don't have negative growth, but we have below trend growth. So there is no way out of it. You, you, right, so right now, my forecast, I actually said this a couple of months ago, is that look for uh, a stronger yen, stronger euro, cheaper dollar, cheaper yuan. That has played out with a couple speed bumps. The dollar got a big lift because of Brexit, uh, and Europe, the euro went down a little bit also because of Brexit. Uh, but the yen went from 124 to 104. It backed up, 103 actually backed up a little bit. Uh, but we, we do have a strong yen. Uh, all these people who expect Japan to intervene in currency markets, don't hold your breath. They've been warned, I would say threatened, by Jack Lew and Christine Lagarde. Don't you dare mm -hmm. intervene in currency markets. You just, you, you know, you had three years of a cheap yen. You didn't make the structural reforms. You didn't know, do what you needed to do. Too bad for you. We're taking the canteen back. So, so the point to your to to your main question, Grant, is that they don't have a logical conclusion. There are only two ways out of a currency war. One is systemic reform, a kind of Bretton Woods mm -hmm. or a Plaza Accord, where all the major powers sit down and just say, "Here's the New Deal." The other one is systemic collapse. I expect collapse um, because there's no consensus on a way out of it. There's no political will behind structural reform. Uh, I don't see the leadership, you know, in, uh, you know, in 1944, you had John Maynard Keynes. In 1985, you had James Baker. In the 1990s, you had Bob Rubin. These were, you know, whether the Democrats or Republicans, these, this was leadership. I don't see that kind of leadership yeah. today. I see a lot of denial. I don't see the political will behind structural reform. So I would expect a collapse of the system. Yeah, it's kind of uh, surprising to hear him say that. Right. That's not something you want to hear first thing in the morning, but it is to get you informed about what's going on out there. 
if this uh, digital industrial revolution ends up happening and you have all these digital technologies like blockchain, AI, right, automation, if you have all this taking place, well, it makes sense for every country to want to get involved or at least want to own some of that pie, right? So we'll see how all this shakes out. I don't foresee this happening here in the next you know, year or so. Who knows where the timeline for something like this is? I would imagine it would take at least five to 10 years, I would imagine, but who knows? Um, it's been a crazy time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Mandela effect, who knows? Who knows what it was that turned everything on the dime, but let's get on to five good minutes. All right, today we are talking backed in five good minutes. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm, I'm a little rusty, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to take me at least a week to get everything. Yeah, to get everything loose like the way I was. It, it It's like riding a bike. I'm just gonna take a little time. <laughs> I need another 100 minutes in me before I start. Okay, enough of that. All right, let's talk back. So they announced that they're gonna release this consumer app for crypto. Yeah, we, we kind of know about this, right? I've been covering back all summer, baby. We knew about this. <laughs> they're gonna do this phase two launch where they're gonna do it with Starbucks and they're gonna release an app. They had hired Android developers, iOS developers, the whole kit and caboodle, right? We have Mike Balandina said, we'll be launching a consumer app to make it easy for consumers to discover and unlock the value of digital assets, as well as ways in which they can transact or track them. Merchants gain access to a broader set of customers with expanded spending power. A key feature of the model we designed is to support a superset of digital assets, including cryptocurrencies, as seamlessly as investors transact in stocks in a retail brokerage account. Our vision is to provide a consumer platform for managing a digital asset portfolio, whether they wish to store, transact, trade, or transfer their assets. <laughs> so that was my best like medium NPR voice. Okay, so Mike, thank you for this news. We appreciate it. And this is, we knew about this, ladies and gentlemen. Don't be surprised. And what I want to kind of remind y'all is when it comes to back and they saying they're going to do this here in early 2019, uh, they might as well say at the end of 2019, <laughs> they don't hit their marks, right? And that's that's not bad. They just don't hit their marks. Uh, they say a date for something and it doesn't happen. They tend to, at least that we that I've seen since following them for the past two years, they tend to pre-release stuff, not pre-release, pre-release talks of stuff, pre-release PR releases <laughs> of things. They like to talk before actually doing this. They're probably barely getting started on this, <laughs> right? They're probably literally just barely getting started. They probably just hired up the to the whole team. They probably just have a, a plan, right? I don't see this launching until the end of next year, at the earliest. 
That's what that's what that's what I'm saying. Now, Starbucks is that big? Yes, I think that's humongous, right? Last year, Charles, uh, I forget his, I forget the name for the the CEO of the company. Anyways, he said that they were interested in the internet 20 years ago. They were. They were just uh, uncertain of how it was going to shake out. They made a bet in that direction, right? They see the same thing with blockchain cryptocurrencies right now. Is that a bad bet? No, it's not a bad bet. I mean, we're making bets too. But I think we just need to keep this in perspective. A lot of people are happy about this news. I guess I'm happy too. I just know from BACT and how they approach things, they talk about things well in advance before they even have a plan of how they're going to do it. And even if they do have a plan, they're not even close to being finished with it. So they say early 2019, they probably don't mean December 2019. And then at that point, maybe we'll see Starbucks, right? And even then, it probably will just be in the Starbucks app. It'll be like a little a little thing that says pay with Bitcoin, <laughs> right? I would love to see a bigger thing. Personally, I would like to see a big old thing that says buy your Bitcoin here at Starbucks and pay your Bitcoin here at Starbucks and buy this new drink called Bitcoin. <laughs> it's gold, right? Like I would love to see that. And I would love to see the advertising that Bact had promised us early on. They said they were going to do this whole kind of rollout for it. And it was going to be this full on, you know, mainstream coverage of Bitcoin and their platform. But that hasn't happened. Where is that, Kelly Loeffler? I'm still waiting. Jeffrey Speaker, I'm waiting for that. Where is that? That was supposed to happen. So we'll see if that happens. Uh, again, I'm not holding my breath because as, as you all know, they, they're very slow in rolling things out. And that's five good minutes, baby. That's a, probably a take you haven't heard all day, right? Let's get into the cold hard truth. The Hard Truth. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! So here at the bottom of the show, we're talking Binance again in The Hard Truth. Um... I, you know, to be honest with you, I wouldn't cover Binance <laughs> personally, like uh, on our regular shows like Thriller News and Thriller and Thriller Crypto. Like I wouldn't cover Binance at all. <laughs> I cover Binance on this podcast because I feel like y'all need to know what's going on in regards to that exchange, because there's some of you that might be using it. That's why I'm covering it um, today. They were in the news again and they got kind of manhandled by the block. They said uh, there was a time where Binance said that they weren't charging listing fees because you can't say listing fees because they're not a regulated exchange. So they don't say listing fees, listing fees. They say long term payment fees. And this is not a secret. We've known Binance to charge an exorbitant amount of money. I've actually had personal conversations with people inside of a cryptocurrency project here in Austin. I I won't name it, but um, they've told me that they have been personally reached out to about their cryptocurrency being placed on Binance and the amount it would cost. And then there was another cryptocurrency here in Austin that I talk a lot about that's a uh, more decentralized than the other cryptocurrency that I'm talking about. And they didn't 
they didn't ask to be put on Binance. They were just magically put on there. And if you know if you know what I'm talking about, you know what cryptocurrency I'm talking about. But no names, no names. I don't do that, right? So this is not surprising. They said that they charge stacks two hundred fifty thousand dollars to show up on their exchange. Two hundred fifty thousand. They have over a hundred. Gosh, I don't even know how many coins at this point they have, but they have well over you know, 100 coins here on Binance, uh, the world version, not the US version. So it makes me it makes me reconsider, like, are they seeing a lot of trading volume? Is that being manipulated? We have no proof of that. Right. Or is that all funneled from getting your ICO launched on there? Is it all funneled from these cryptocurrency projects? paying this exorbitant amount, right? You know, I'm pretty sure 250,000 is the bare minimum. <laughs> I think I think it goes a little higher than that to be honest with you. I think they got a steal here for $250,000. So, it makes me rethink about how profitable Binance really is in regards to their trading volume. Um, we know they they charge fees, right? And we know they use their token and there's been reports you know, from crypto YouTube that there's some manipulation going on with their token. Again, there's no actual like hard proof yet, but crypto YouTube is talking about it, right? This is why I look at every 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 corner of this space, try to study it because uh, every space has different inputs. They really do. Few people understand that. Okay, so what's the hard truth here? The hard truth is what I've said all along. Binance is listing over hundreds, has over a hundred coins, right? Some of those aren't necessarily alive and doing well, right? Some of those projects are, are long gone. Some of those projects are pump and, ducks, pump and dump schemes, right? And um, today the block pretty much gave out a, a flyer for Binance telling everybody, hey, if you want to show up on Binance, $250,000 is the minimum. <laughs> to me, that's what that looks like. You're signaling to the entire cryptocurrency space. You're going to have to pay $250,000 if you want to show up on Binance. That's what I see in this headline. That's the hard truth there. That's the truth that no one wants to talk about. You know, I have nothing against Binance. I think I used them early in 2017, um, right when they got released. I didn't think much of them. Um, There's a couple of people in our Telegram that use them uh, to each their own. I, I, I just don't particularly find their their site safe <laughs> to be honest with you i just don't think it's uh it's a safe place to trade crypto uh and then on top of that it's not regulated uh even when they do launch in the u.s i still won't feel safe using it and um i don't know what it's going to take for that to change maybe another five years maybe once they're around for five years and maybe if they become regulated maybe i'll look at them at that point but right now there's just far better exchanges to use and uh, we're not in a bull market, so there's really no, well, I shouldn't say a bull market. We're not in a bull run, so there's really no reason to go on their exchange and trade these lower, you know, lower than a penny <laughs> cryptocurrencies, right? Uh, everything you can find out uh, on any of these American exchanges. So that's kind of where I stand with uh, Binance. Uh, I'm not a fan, but at the same time, I do want to share what I think is troublesome is that 
every week it seems we're getting more and more bad news from from Binance's uh, you know corner of the universe, and it doesn't make me feel any better about them every week that this happens. It's troublesome. You know, I talked about it at the top of the podcast, but not talking about crypto and Bitcoin for a whole week can really make your <laughs> your anxieties come out. Uh, gosh, I was on Twitter a lot this week and um, I saw myself kind of engaging in a way that was not like me and I didn't know what it was. I finally understood before I started recording this that it's because I don't, I'm not getting that frustration out. I'm not talking it out to y'all. I'm not, I'm not producing anything. I'm not being creative. And it's that, it's that thing that keeps a lot of people from kind of sharing their views in a constructive and, you know, considerate and straight and arrow way. Um, and I realized that today. <laughs> I didn't realize that before. But I'm so grateful to have this podcast. I'm so grateful for y'all to be listening. And I uh, just wanted to say, gosh, it feels great to be back. <laughs>